Good morning, everyone. Oh, it's so great to see you. I hope that y'all have had a great Thanksgiving weekend week, and I'm excited that you're here. If you're a visitor today, welcome to New Hope. We're thankful that you're here visiting with us and being part of our family. The the, the, uh, visitor bags are out back in the front lobby whenever you come in, and there's a card if you would fill that out. That would be great. So there is so much to tell you because it's December, right? It's the busiest time of the year, I feel like, but my favorite time of the year. Um, We have a beautiful, um, what is this room? Sanctuary. We have a beautiful sanctuary thanks to the Hanging of the Green Sunday. So thank you for everyone that came out to do that. If you notice, it's a little different up here this morning. Um, Mr. Sonny Wright and his beautiful family will be leading us in worship, and we're thankful for that because we have several families that are out on vacation right now. So please look at your bulletin, and if you get a newsletter from me in the mail, and be aware of all the changes this month. Um, Every Sunday night, starting in December, there's something different every week. So um, make sure you check that out. A few announcements that we have this morning. The live nativity for Christmas and Earl is about to begin. It's December 9th through 11th. We would love for you to be a part of that. And the sign-up sheet is right out here by the office. So please sign up for that. If there's one night you can't be here, that's okay. Just let them know. Maybe put it beside it and you can be here for whatever nights you can be. The wonderful ministry of Angel Tree is it's starting now, today. So here are the Angel Tree things that you will get. And if you don't know much about the Angel Tree ministry at New Hope, there are six families from this community that the local school has told them about, and there's 14 kids involved. Every child will get four of these. One is for socks and underwear, one is for clothes, and two of these are for toys. So if you could go to the back and see Amanda, and then there's a sign-up in the Hope Center, if that's easier, after the service, and sign up on the sheet and have your toys here by December or your gifts here wrapped by December 11th. That would be wonderful. It is also that time for Lottie Moon. So the Lottie Moon offering envelopes are everywhere that you look. So I've spread those out if you get that. And this is the International Missions Week of Prayer for Lottie Moon. So if you would take this with you and spend this week in all the chaos of starting Christmas and focus on our international missionaries and pray what God would like for your family to do and support for them. I know I have been in international missions several times in my life. And to see the work that these missionaries do is um, humbling and it's a gift to be a part of that for us. Oh, and last but not least, it is also the Act Teens post office time. So get your Christmas cards and start bringing them right out here and put your money and your cards in the basket. That would be wonderful for the Act Teens to, to send them out to you. So it is the first Sunday of Advent, and I love history because I married a history buff. And thanks to him, I look up everything that I do in life. For the history of it. The word Advent is derived from the Latin word Adventus, which means the coming. And then the Cambridge Dictionary defines it as the arrival. This celebration is used everywhere. If you go in a store, you will see candy Advent calendars or devotionals and all types of things to do. But unlike modern Advent ceremonies, it used to have a different focus in the church families. It used to be a twin focus, really. The first two weeks of Advent was 
to reflect the coming, the second coming of Christ. And the, the next two weeks were used to reflect his first coming and to prepare for Christmas. The disciples would spend the first two weeks of Advent, which is this week and next week, confessing their sins and spending time hoping for the, his coming again. And, and then they would transition into the next, the celebration of his birth. I love the way we do Advent. I love the church and our, our candles and our focus each week. And not only do we anticipate the celebration of the moment that God broke into history in our lives, but we also await his coming again. Praise God. So we focus in the midst of all of the world's Christmas celebrations. Our church prepares everyone for the waiting, the preparation for the event that would change everything. The coming of God the Son. So what a blessing it is this morning to, to discuss this week of hope. And we have families, young children, or f people with no kids. There are Advent calendars that are out here and things for your families to do all month from New Hope to remind us of the celebration of his birth. I love reading in scripture about the celebrations that, that, the, that the early believers had and the Israelites. And Solomon reminds us in his wisdom to enjoy life. And I think that taking time out of all of the busyness of this world and doing things as a family, as couples, as close friends, is so important to remind those around you what's the most important thing in celebrating Christ's birth together. So in Romans 2, in Romans 5, using Pastor Russ's Bible. This was in Romans 2. Oh, I've read it. Romans 5, it says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So family, I just want you this week to be full of hope, even especially in the sufferings, knowing that each thing we face can bring us so much closer to the glory of God because of God's gift to us in Christ Jesus. And the Nichols family will be lighting our Advent candle this morning. Let us pray. Oh, Father in heaven, how great are your works, your creation, your blessings that pour into our lives with every moment. The protection you give us, the miracles that are in all of our lives that sometimes we just miss. We thank you for each moment that you've given us on this earth and especially the hope that we have in you. We praise you for your son that you sent Jesus onto this earth 
all the prophecies before that reminded us, that, that told them what was to come, and that remind us how great this was. The, from the very beginning, your first word all the way through, each thing spoken has come to fruition all because of your amazing power, Lord. Let us not doubt your power for one moment. Let us trust in your ways and in our, in our lives if we focus on you, Lord, that we follow your path no matter what. I pray over this time of worship. I thank you for the music that we are going to sing, and I pray that it pleases you. I thank you for the words that we will hear from the pastor, and I just I pray that each person is, is softened right now to hear your word, Lord to hear it and to think on it and to ponder it and to leave here and tell others and live a new life in you. How great you are, Lord. How thankful I am to be a follower of you and to have this family right here with me. And it is in your holy name we pray. Amen. The song we're about to sing is called A Beautiful Star of Bethlehem. You may have heard it before, but of course it references the star that led um, the shepherds and the wise men to Jesus. Um, and this passage in scripture is foretold in Isaiah and also referenced in Matthew as the fulfillment of this prophecy. So if you would like to read along with me, it starts in Isaiah 9 verses 1 through 7 and then um, chapter 1 in Matthew. It says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, 
wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel.
thank you for, for that. Thank you for welcoming me here this morning. I've had an opportunity to shake hands and see some smiling faces, so it's a privilege to be with you. As you see in your bulletin, my name is Jason Ballard. I am the Associational Mission Strategist slash Associational Director slash Director of Mission slash Association, whatever title they give me. Uh, that's what I do. And uh, I serve, have the privilege to serve at the Greater Cleveland County Baptist Association uh, there. And thanks to your church and many others, I get the opportunity to minister to 85 different Baptist churches all across Cleveland County and working to better uh, share the gospel in their communities and through their churches. So what a privilege it is to be able to share with you this morning. Um, I've been on a I was telling someone uh, this morning even that I've been on a bit of a, of a, of a rush and tour because I, I've been, about the past five or six Sundays, I've been preaching somewhere. And so it, it gets interesting, and I want to keep up and make sure that I'm not going to the wrong location. So I'm always watching to make sure. So I was excited when I walked up to the front door today, and they said, you must be Brother Jason. I went, yes, <laughs> I got the right one. No, uh, it, it's a privilege to be here. And to be with you in this great holiday season, uh, as Mr. Sonny shared, it, I, I pretty much feel the same way. Once we got through the turkey and the dressing, man, break out the carols, it's time for Christmas. But as we walk into this morning, it struck me uh, just how much and how important it is for us to walk into our Christmas season, one of the most powerful times of year for us to remember what God has done for us, but to walk into it with an attitude of thanksgiving, of gratitude. And so I really wanted to take a moment to, to really look into God's Word about that message for us because I think that that message of gratitude when taken in our hearts really unlocks the power of what we experience in Christmas uh, every year because it reminds us that what we've been given truly is a gift and we ought to be thankful and praise God for our Savior Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to Luke chapter 17. To Luke chapter 17, we're just going to look at a, a familiar story this morning as we consider this uh, attitude of gratitude that God calls us to exhibit, and we are going to let Him teach us through His Word. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus is busy Amid his ministry, he's doing many things, working among the people and teaching as well as conducting uh, healing folks and, and doing things that really has uh, opened the eyes of many to believe that he is the Christ. He's beginning to show signs. And we reach chapter 17, and there's an interesting moment that occurs. And it's interesting for a lot of different reasons. The reason that I want to draw to your attention today is, is because it truly is one of the most direct passages of Scripture that address gratitude and thankfulness. So if you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 17, you'll look with me at verse 11. We'll begin reading right there in Luke 17 verse 11. Here we read, Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria in Galilee, you'll note that if, you, uh, if you've studied your Bible, you know that Samaria is one of those places that most good God-fearing Jews did not go. I mean, that's just not a place that you walked into. Those people were not your people, and you didn't 
associate with them, you weren't around them. And that's the way the, the Jewish folk of that day kind of viewed that entire area of Samaria. And so Jesus is actually on a journey, and he's walking very close on that border uh, between Samaria and Galilee, where he was from, and making his way along. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance. And they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, just as well, if you know your, your Bible Leprosy is a, a term that's used for many different kinds of skin conditions, but it, in any case, it was a term and it was a condition that truly separated individuals who, who had it from everyone else. We've become uh, a little bit more acquainted with that kind of concept as we've been through a global pandemic. I mean, if, several years ago, I never would have dreamed I would walk around uh, my hometown of, of Gastonia and here in Cleveland County and see folks uh, not, not even willing to walk into public without wearing a mask or covering up or uh, doing all the things that we've done. We, we, we truly did gain a different appreciation for sickness. And if someone we knew tested positive for that dreaded virus, many of us may have avoided being anywhere near them. And you're always wondering, oh, how long do I have to wait this summer, I left on a mission trip uh, with a, a group and ended up, uh, we were in Hungary and uh, ministering to students and children in that country. And while I was there, I received a call that both my wife and oldest daughter had uh, tested positive for the COVID virus. And for you to understand, my wife is uh, now the mother of three girls, and somehow we had to figure out, okay, well, how are you going to take care of, of the oldest being sick, you being sick, and the other two trying not to get sick all in the same home. And it was uh, very interesting to hear the different means and methods they went to to separate the household as they divided off rooms and who was allowed to eat with who and who could uh, spend time with who just to try to keep people healthy in the house. Uh, and all the while I was sitting on the other side of the globe going, hmm, might have been good planning, good timing for me to be gone. Thankfully, everybody pulled through just fine. But it did remind me of how strange our world has become. Well, in Jesus' day, if you contracted leprosy, it was even worse. You weren't allowed to live in the same town. You were sent off to live with people who also had this disease. You weren't given 14 days. It's usually a life sentence for this disease. What's even worse, you weren't allowed to worship God. I mean, not in the way that the people were accustomed to. You couldn't even walk into the temple grounds. You couldn't come near anyone. In fact, you had to stand at a distance from anybody and proclaim to them, unclean, unclean, to let them know not to come near you. You can imagine the isolation. You can imagine the struggle. You can imagine the life that these men lived. And yet in this moment, as Jesus is passing by, they observed the common custom. They stood at a distance, but they called out in desperation, Master, have pity on us. Master, we need you. Master, would you see our condition and our struggle? Verse 14 says, when he saw them, he said, Go. Show yourselves to the priests. 
And as they went, they were cleansed. Now you see, remember what I just said. These were, were lepers. They weren't allowed to go into the temple. They weren't allowed to go near a priest. They couldn't even let a priest walk near them without notifying them, Hey, I'm sick. You have to stay away. And yet Jesus is telling them, No, I need you to go to the priests. I need you to tell them what's coming. Because, see, the reality was this was common practice. If you were cleansed of such an illness, you were to go and celebrate. You were to go and express your gratitude. You were to go and worship God because of what he had done in bringing cleansing to your life. So Jesus sends them to the priest. I don't know if they anticipated what was coming next. I don't know if they knew what was about to happen. But in obedience, they went. What an amazing experience it must have been as they walked down the road only to find that somewhere along their journey, they were healed. Verse 15 says, One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. I think that's a powerful statement. Not just because of everything we've just said, that Jews didn't associate with Samaritans or that there was animosity between these people. I mean, it was evident in this story that of these ten men, only one was identified as a Samaritan. The other nine likely are Jews. The other nine understand what they're supposed to do when Jesus instructs them to go and speak to the priest. Now, here's the interesting thing. The Samaritan, he has no place in the temple already. He's not a Jew. The Samaritan doesn't worship God in the temple in Jerusalem. He worships with his own people, in his own country, in his own capital. In fact, he worships according to his own scriptures that are shortened from what the Jews would have observed. And yet he was willing to do exactly as Jesus instructed him and go to the priest of Jerusalem. It's impressive. Because I think what it shows us is that here is a man who has absolutely no tradition, history, or tie to this past. And yet he is willing to do anything that Jesus asked him to do. He is willing to submit to whatever he is called upon to do. What an amazing picture of someone who's obedient. And in his obedience, he finds he's been healed. He returns to Jesus in worship, and he throws himself at his feet. Verse 17, Jesus responds by asking, We're not all ten cleansed? It's kind of a funny question, don't you think? I mean, in this moment, you hear Jesus say these words and you're wondering, was he not sure? I mean, is Jesus asking a real question here? It's like, wait a minute, that was not the plan. Weren't there more of y'all that, that got healed? What happened? Yet in this moment, only one expresses his gratitude. Verse 18 tells us, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? 
Jesus notes the difference between this man and the others. He recognizes the level of obedience that he's committing to. He knows the distance he's willing to go, not just physically, but spiritually in this moment. Verse 19. Jesus replies, he said, Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Your faith. Jesus recognized in this moment that this was more than simple obedience or expectations. This was true faith. In fact, this same term that is used here to instruct him that your faith has made you well. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus uses the same term when he speaks to another and says, your faith has saved you. You may say, well, those aren't the same thing. Not in English, they're not. But in the original language here, we're indicated that this man's faith is much more than just believing that Jesus could heal him. It's a belief that Jesus is the answer to everything he needs. There's so many things in looking at this story that we could overwhelm ourselves with. But I just want to focus in on, on one truth. I want us to focus for a moment on the power of gratitude and how it enriches our spiritual walk with God. What does it do to unlock the wonder, the excitement, and the relationship that we enjoy with Jesus? I believe this man shows us very clearly the effect that gratitude can have in our heart. I was never more aware of it than some years ago, I was, I was finishing up seminary. I was in my final semester and uh, taking a full load of classes. I was working full-time. I worked for a uh, diagnost genetics diagnostic laboratory. Uh, it may sound fancy, but it means I sat behind a microscope for about eight hours a day. And uh, it, it was tedious and tiring work, but it was meaningful work because we were helping people who were cancer patients or maybe had blood diseases, and we were trying to find answers for them. So between attending my, my duties at work and attending my classes at school, I was straining every bit of my eyes that I could. So I walked into class one day, and I sat down, and I looked up from my seat, and I, I told my professor, I said, I think your projector is out of focus. He looked back behind him, and he looked over at me. He says, no, I think those are your eyes. You need to go get them checked. I thought he was crazy. I mean, he is a professor. That's the way they usually can be. But when I got home, my wife told me, she said, well, maybe that's why every day you come home from class with a headache. Think about it. I thought, yeah, you're not, you're not wrong. Maybe I'll go get my eyes checked. I made an appointment, went to my appointment, sat down in the big chair. If you've ever been uh, to a, an eye appointment, you know the excitement and the fun. They, they throw that gigantic mask-looking thing in front of your face, and they start through the exciting discussion with you. This one or this one? This one or this one? This one? or I mean, it goes on forever, right? And I keep wondering, man, can you come up with a better conversation to have than that? And as we progress through all the different clicks of the lenses on that giant machine, I watched as things were, yeah, that's better. Oh, that's even better than before. What are you doing? Finally, he finished, and he said, all right, we're done. And I said, Okay, cool. Can I ask you one question? He said, sure. 
I said, do I really need glasses? He said, okay, you see that letter you're looking at right there? I said, yes. He said, what letter is it? I said, it's letter A. He says, that's right. And he pushed the machine away from my face. And he says, do you see it now? I said, see what? I had no clue that it was plain as day, still on the wall right in front of me. I just couldn't see it. He ordered a pair of glasses for me, and a few days later I came, I picked them up, and I will never forget the experience I had. I put them on, not really out of any anticipation, but just because I thought I should, before I even left the store. It was a Walmart, just so you know. I was a high-dollar spender when I was looking for something for my eyes. And I walked out the front door of the Walmart with my glasses on for the very first time and nearly was hit by a car. Uh, because I stopped in the middle of the parking lot, shocked at what I could see. I could not believe it. There were words on the side of the semi that I had parked next to. I hadn't even read driving into that parking lot. There were things all around me that I had just completely missed because I couldn't see them. What an amazing thing to forget. And so often, there are things that we have, that we have access to whether it be our sight, whether it be our, our home, our job, our income, the members of our family. We, are not, we don't express gratitude for them because, quite frankly, they're there. We just don't think about it. And yet the truth is, that's the very reason we should be grateful because we've been blessed with so much. When Jesus uh, confronts the reality of the ingratitude in these nine men. He also, at the same time, highlights the power of gratitude in this one leper who had been healed. What I want to share with you just in these few moments is what I believe are three ways that this man shows us how gratitude affects our relationship with God. Number one, gratitude alerts us to God's work. It truly garners our attention, focuses our eyes. When we're grateful, it helps us see what God is doing. I think I find it, I mean, I find it very interesting that these 10 men are proceeding from the border of Samaria and Galilee, which is a good distance from Jerusalem, all the way to the temple to see the priests. Why? So that they can report something that hasn't happened yet. And somewhere along the way, their skin is clean. Somewhere along the way, the ailment that has separated them from family, that has separated them from worship, that has separated them from everything they have ever known, is gone. I wonder what it was like the moment they looked down and realized, I'm clean. Maybe they, they didn't see it at first. Maybe they were just too focused on where they were going. Maybe they were too busy thinking about the journey Jesus had just sent them on. And why in the world do we need to take that? And oh my goodness, it's so far. I don't even have food and we can't even go into town. And wait, I'm clean. Gratitude keeps our eyes focused on what God has given. In fact, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, we're told to be watchful in our gratitude, in our thankfulness, in our prayers. Watchful. Alert to what God is doing. 
when I was in college, I, I came home one summer and uh, just a lot of different things would you know you could do. College students can do during the summer. Um, I know many of you probably have experienced that. I, I did a mission trip one year. I did. I worked for the university one year. But one year I came home. And I just took a job and uh, worked through the summer and went to became an adult going to adult church. You know what that's like, right? You're no longer in the youth group. You're no longer in children's ministry. You got to go sit in prayer meeting just like everybody else. And you know what I'm talking about. I see those faces. You're like, yeah, I had to grow up all of a sudden. And I remember going to prayer meeting. We'd walk in every week, and we would put the prayer requests on our board, and we'd pray over them, and then uh, we'd go into a short Bible study, and we'd go home. The next week, we'd come in, we'd put the list back up, we would pray over them, we'd go into Bible study, we'd go back home. And for some reason that summer, I began to write those things down. And I remember the first week a gentleman came into the to the prayer meeting, first time I was there, and I said, well, look, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to grow up, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be responsible. So I started writing down every request that was made. And that first week, he walked in, he said, I want you to pray for a little girl that's the daughter of, of someone I work with. She's just been diagnosed with cancer. They found a tumor in her brain, and they don't know what to do to treat her. Family is distraught. I don't even know if the dad can go back to work. They're trying to figure out what they need to do. We just need to pray for them. Next request went up on the board and we kept going. But I wrote that one down. And every week we would come back and we went through our prayer list and we would talk about things. And I still had that girl's name written in my, my little book of notes. As we would pray, I would remember we're still praying for her. There may be new requests added. There may be things taken off the list, but we're, we're still praying for her. As I concluded my summer, I, I was there on the last Wednesday night. I walked in, sat down, and thought, okay, next week I start being a college student again. I can go to things a little more exciting than prayer meeting. As we sat there and we began to take requests, and um, it got ready for Bible study to start just as we ended our prayer. The gentleman walked through the back door and rather rushed hurry and he said have we prayed the minister looked up and said well we just did but is there something we need to pray about we can do it again he said no we just need to thank God he said I asked you to pray for this little girl at the beginning of the summer she just got back from the doctor they can't find a tumor they can't find cancer they can't find anything it's gone he said and I don't know what else to say but thank God as I sat in that room, there was a, a feeling of shock that went over me. I couldn't believe it. I'd heard about things like this, but I'd never been around when this happened. As I looked around the room, I became painfully aware of something. Nobody remembered her name. Nobody remembered we had prayed. Now, that may be unfair. Some may have, but no one seemed to be as stunned as I was. Because I think nobody was watching for God to work. See, when we're thankful for God's work, we're alert to it. We see it coming. When we're thankful for who He is and what He's done, we're alert to the fact that He's around us. And he's working in our lives. Today, as you prepare for 
for this Christmas season. Be grateful for what God has given you. Be alert to what He is giving you now. Because as we express our thankfulness, we will see Him at work in our lives. And that will lead us right into what happened to this man. That's the second thing I want you to see in this moment. Not only did gratitude alert him of God's work and does the same to us, but it unleashes our praise. I mean, I love the description that is given of this man who is healed. Verse 15, he says, One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. Now, what I have to say is the English doesn't do justice to what was happening. I don't know about you, but if I had just spent years of my life separated from family with a death sentence hanging in my body, unable to be around any other human contact but those that suffered the same disease, and I'm healed. I'm not going to simply say, well, that was nice. I'm not going to say, well, well, thank goodness I'm better. I'm going to be uncontrollable. In my praise. And the word here that says loud voice, it could be better translated (laughs) eruption of praise. This This was overwhelming. I mean, this was the type of stuff that when somebody gets this excited in church, we look at them and go, you need to calm down. Do you remember where you are? Yeah, this man was, you couldn't silence him. It says here, he threw himself at Jesus' feet. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been so blessed and so grateful that you know nothing more than to fall on your face before God and say thank you? Some of us will say, well, yes, but I've never done it. Then I don't know that you have. Because for this man, he couldn't do anything less. He erupted in praise. What an amazing moment. Not only for him, but for God. Imagine how God feels when that is how we praise him. Imagine how God responds when we are so passionate for him in that moment. I don't mean outwardly. Honestly, I just mean in your heart. When nothing can stop you, contain you, or keep you from loving Him. Gratitude unleashes our praise. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul instructs us in verse 16. He says, Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you. How often do we ask? How often do we pray? How often do we wait? God, I just want to know what your will is. I want to know what you want me to do. And yet we're told, pray, worship, and give thanks. That's God's will. And as we walk into a Christmas season where we have so much to be thankful for and so much to celebrate, Don't let it be done simply with a nod and a smile. Let it be done with your praise. One of my favorite songs that my wife and I will sing as we ride down the road, because really we don't get to do it anywhere else. 
It's a song entitled Promises. It goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. Y'all don't get scared. I'm just going to read you the words. I'm not in my car anyway, so it doesn't sound as good. God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant and of faithful promises. Time and time again, you've proven you'll do just what you said. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I will remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. The chorus goes something like this. Great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the setting sand, I will praise your name. When we consider all of God's faithfulness and all that he does for us, both in the giving of his son and in the sacrifice of his son, there is no greater thing that we should be thankful for than Jesus. But all too often we gather in worship or what we call worship and we do not respond in gratitude for what he has done for what he has given. We simply do it because it's what we're used to. It's our routine. This Christmas season, I beg you, don't let it be routine. Don't come here. Don't utter these words of praise. Don't sing these songs of joy and not have gratitude in your heart. Your gratitude will unleash your praise. Let that be the voice that God hears. And let that change your life. Because when you do that, you'll find the third thing that we're shown here. And that is that gratitude not only alerts us to God's work or unleashes our praise, but it reveals further blessing. I noted it for you earlier. I'll note it quickly here. Verse 19, Jesus responds to, him, responds to this man. He says, rise and go, for your faith has made you well. This term for made well is the same term that is used elsewhere to say it has saved you. What Jesus is noting in this man is not just his faith that Jesus could heal, but his faith that Jesus is who he says he is. His faith that would submit and worship the God that would stand before him. What we find is that gratitude has changed not only his life in this moment, but his eternity. If you look at me today, you'll say, hey, I guess you uh, finally moved away from them glasses and got you some contacts, right? Nope, I didn't. One of the most interesting things happened to me uh, several years after we started ministry. Um, I noticed after some time that I was struggling again with my, my vision. It was bothering me a little bit wearing my glasses. And so I guess it's time to, to go to the doctor. I'd been previously, I'd received a new pair of glasses. and uh, We went and the doctor checked out my eyes and we 
he rolled out that big funny-looking machine again, put it in front of my face. And as he started back through the long discussion, this one or this one, this one or this one, I noticed that our conversation ended a lot faster than the last time. And he pushed the machine away from my face, and he looked at me really puzzled, and he said, why did you get glasses in the first place? I said, I was sitting in class and couldn't read the screen anymore. He said, so you were in school? I said, yes, I was. He said, what kind of school? I said, seminary. He said, you have to read a lot? I just laughed. We'd read 500 to 1,000 pages a week. He said, did you ever work in any field? I said, yes, I worked in a genetics lab. I stared at a microscope for eight hours a day. He looked down at his paperwork and laughed. He looked up at me and he says, you don't need glasses anymore. I said, why is that? He said, because you're not torturing your eyes anymore. He said, they've gone back to normal. They're fine. That was, good grief, 12 years ago. I haven't needed them since. But I never would have achieved it, never would have gotten to this point had I not been willing to put on the first set that he gave me. See, the truth is we forget God's blessing we can't see it. And we forget that God will continue to bless us if we're obedient to what he has done. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. We're given this picture very plainly. Do you show contempt to the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing, realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. His kindness. When we consider all the things that God has done, it's His kindness that leads us to Him, that leads us to follow Him. And it is that gratitude that will lead us to further blessing as God continues to grow us in the faith. Today, I come sharing with you greetings from the churches all across the county to share with you the responsibility of carrying the gospel to the world, starting right here. But I come this morning to remind you that as you step into a Christmas season, step into it grateful for what God has done. Because when we do that, we will see what he is doing. We will worship him in a rich way like we never have. And we will experience new blessings, further blessings that will set us on a path to walk with him closer, greater, and more. The truth be told, when we look at this reality, what we find is simply this, that if we know Christ, we are, we are tuned to him to be grateful for what he's done. But if we do not know him, we're left with questions. So today I'd be wrong if I didn't ask you, do you know Christ? Do you know what it is that he has done for you? Do you know what it is that you can truly be grateful for? I'd invite you as we close the service in a few moments, I'll be standing down front. I'd love to share with you how God can change your life and can introduce you to the grace that has been offered through his son, Jesus Christ. 
The very one who healed this leper also died on the cross so he could heal you from your sin. And today I'd invite you to, to receive him into your life as we close in a moment. But for all of us here, I would invite you more than anything. Step into this season with gratitude in your heart for all God has done, all he is doing, and all he will do. And as we express our thanks to him, we will experience his presence in our lives. As the worship team comes, will you join me as we close in prayer? Father, we come before you, and we praise and thank you for what you have done for us. We lift up your name in recognition and in honor. And we ask today, God, that you would be glorified in our lives and in our thanksgiving. God, for all that you have done for us, you would draw us into your presence and draw us closer to you. And as we step into this Christmas season, help us, Lord, to worship you with every moment, with every declaration, with every gift, remembering that you alone are the reason that we praise. You alone are the reason we celebrate. You alone are the one that we are thankful for. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just